Hi, it's Carolina. I'm so excited that you could join us on the City Point Redcliffe podcast. We're about to go into a message that I delivered recently, and I hope that it encourages you, it inspires you, and it launches you further in your walk with Jesus. That's my heart for you as you listen. If it does encourage you, why not share it with someone who you think could do with hearing it as well? And subscribe so that you don't miss any of the messages that are uploaded every single week. For now, sit back, enjoy, and I hope that you get blessed. We are in the theme of the ripple effect. And the, the subtitle is Every Decision Matters. Every decision counts. Everything we do has a ripple effect that just keeps going and going and going. And we need to be mindful of that. We need to stay mindful of that. And so this theme, the ripple effect, we covered it in September around relationships, the ripple effect of right and wrong relationships. The ripple effect of how we interact with people is so far reaching, and that was in September. And here in October, we are talking about the the ripple effect of serving, the ripple effect of living our lives as people who serve. And so I am really excited to open this concept this morning. And uh, the title of my message is living for a cause that is greater than self. Living for a cause that's greater than self. And I recognize recognize what my words are doing in the spirit atmosphere of your life because your whole life has been indoctrinated to take care of yourself. And today I'm speaking not even to your mind, I'm speaking to your spirit and the spirit realm of your life, because as a follower of Jesus, we are called not to live for self, but to live for a cause greater than self. And I wanna open out of one of my favorite passages in John 13, where Jesus washes the disciples' feet and turns culture on its head. Verses one to five and then 12 to 17, let's read it together. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to the Father. He had loved his disciples and during his ministry on earth, and now he had loved them until the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the feet of his disciples, drying them with the towel that he had around him. Verse 12, after washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord and you are right because that is what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you ought also to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. Just imagine this scenario. In those days, they wore sandals and the roads were dusty. And when they came to recline for meals, they sat on the ground with a low table. And so it was custom, thank goodness, to wash your feet. And so it was also the task of the house servant to wash the feet of every guest who came. And this particular day where they were celebrating the pinnacle event of the Jewish calendar, this was the event 
that surpassed every other event. And they're there, and one disciple after another walks in, and there's no one there to wash the feet. That's awkward. Do I wash my own feet? Do I stop and wash my friend's feet? No, it's all good. I'm too good for that. I'll just go and sit at the table with dirty feet, considering there's no one here to wash my feet. Jesus walks in, sees what's happened, sees that no one has washed anyone's feet, and being the chief guest of the chief festival, takes off his outer garments, wraps a towel around his waist, fills the pitcher of water, and can you imagine the disciples internally just cringing? Oh my goodness. At that point, some of them would have realized they'd missed the mark. At that point, they would have been just cringing on the inside. In fact, we hear some of them in other you know, translations and other accounts of the same story. They're like, no, Lord, you cannot wash my feet. They, and he's like, too late, buddy. You missed it. It's too late now for you to pull up and, and, and pretend to honor. It's too late. I have to wash your feet because clearly none of you get it yet. And so he sits down and starts washing their feet and in one action just rebukes them all and reminds us all of what our position is supposed to be. It's supposed to be the servant the one who leads through serving. When the world says lead by domination, Jesus says lead by serving. Lead by serving. And when we serve, we are actually being who we naturally are as Jesus followers. When we claim to love Jesus but do not serve, then we're liars. We are being like Jesus when we serve. Servanthood is the nature of Christianity. And generosity in servanthood is a characteristic of the Holy Spirit. There's no such thing as a stingy, spirit-filled Christian. It's not possible. And many people ask this question, especially now, especially after COVID, well, I need to just look after myself and won't extending myself drain me? Won't I be more drained by extending myself? I remember when I first became a Christian <laughs> and I joined the worship team and I started in the choir every Tuesday night and it was compulsory then to be there every Tuesday. If you're on team, you're there every Tuesday. And I didn't know anything about a living relationship with Jesus, nothing. But I threw myself into the choir because I, I had a worshiper's heart. I loved the worship service. I didn't know if I could sing or not. I didn't have any musical talent, nothing. But I knew I loved the worship services. And so I started as a 13-year-old in the adult choir, the Sunday morning choir. And the way to do that was on a Tuesday to come to rehearsal. And every Tuesday, Trish Hartwig would be there with her two small children, Chloe and Tyson, 
five and three every Tuesday running around and she would group us into sopranos and tenors and altos and she would teach us the songs and she'd pull us up when we were being pitchy or when we were singing flat. She'd teach us articulation. She'd teach us all sorts of skills but she also taught us about Jesus, taught us about the kingdom, taught us how to be upright, taught us how to love God in worship. And I was more discipled in the choir on a Tuesday night, and I promise you, than any other sphere of discipleship I've ever had. I was more discipled then than any other time in my life. I didn't have to sit at a deep Bible study. I just needed to attend on a Tuesday night and hear Trish share her heart and just be there every week as a part of a team, as a part of something bigger, committed, committed. And so it was a stretch. You know, it's not always convenient. And can I tell you that for five years, they didn't even notice me. Five years, I went every single Tuesday night. Josh, five years. Five years. They did vocal auditions every year and somehow forgot to enlist me every year. And then eventually after five years, Josh, they did a vocal audition and someone gave me an appointment. And so I did my appointment and they all were like, oh wow, you can sing. How do we miss that? But I kept my heart right the whole time because I wasn't in it for a spotlight. I learned more in those five years in the back blocks hidden by God, hearing Trish, watching her grow her two small children, watching her inconvenience herself for a bunch of people, watching all of that take place, I learned more in those five years than any other time in my Christian walk. My growth was exponentially fast forward in those five years. Yes, yes, it is an extension of self. And you know, the voice of self-service will always try to stop you from getting in the game and serving others. It's the voice of self that stops you from serving. I wanna call it out today. If you're not serving, you are listening to the voice of self. And the voice of self is what stops us from getting into the game. We ask ourselves, but you know, I don't, I don't know if I can. I don't know if I had the energy to do it. In Ecclesiastes, it talks about this voice that wants us to just serve self. In Ecclesiastes 2, the smartest man in all the world, Solomon, penned these words, verse 10. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself of no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work and reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I'd worked so hard to accomplish, it was all meaningless, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. Because true pleasure and meaning and purpose in life will only come from giving yourself away. Matthew said, in Matthew, Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. 
but if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. And so this morning, living for a cause greater than self, true fulfillment will never come out of self-gratification. I'll say it again. True fulfillment will never come from self-gratification. Self-gratification leads to self-destruction. It destroys you and the people around you. You will never ever be fulfilled trying to satisfy yourself. You cannot keep yourself happy by trying to keep yourself happy. The way up is down, less is more, and more is less. They're the principles of the kingdom. Mark, in Mark 9, Jesus said, whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant to everyone else. So in order to live a life, in order to live for a cause greater than self, three things this morning, three things. The first one is we must decide to live our lives in the second mile. We must decide to live in the second mile, not the first. The first is what everyone's doing. It's never crowded in the second mile, but that's where the miracles are. That's where your destiny is. That's where your impact and your influence is. It's in the second mile. It's never in the first mile. Jesus said this in Matthew 5, if you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give up your coat too. And if a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, then carry it for two. In those days, the Roman soldiers had authority, civic authority. And so they could ask any Jew to carry their equipment for a mile. It was law. And that Jew was obligated to do it. He had to stop what he was doing and carry that gear for a mile. And what Jesus is saying, if you get asked to do that, do it for two miles. Live in the second mile. Live life in the second mile. There are four responses you can have to the cause. When someone asks you to serve, when God comes knocking on your door, you have one of four options available to you. Option number one is no. No. Option number two is yes, but which is a vomit-worthy, sugar-coated version of no. I'd prefer just no. Yes, but makes me nauseous. Then there's number three, yes, which just meets the status quo. Give me my job description, give me, give me the, the checklist, and I'll satisfy that. First mile. But the second mile is yes and. And so you'll notice that there are three symbols in my message this morning, the three symbols that I live by. The first one is the ampersand, the and sign. You'll notice it around the place. I have home decor, office decor, all sorts of things with the ampersand because I live according to not yes, but, not yes, but yes, and. Everything I'm asked to do, I'm wondering what the second mile component of it is. Every time I put my hand to something, I'm always wondering what is it beyond the checklist and the job description that I can do here? 
It's the kingdom mindset. Go the second mile and be determined that no matter what you do, whether it's in your workplace, in your home, with your friends, whatever you do, go over and above every single time. Yes, and. I remember when... (laughs) When Pastor Mark Ramsey asked Sam and I to be youth pastors in 2002, he took us out for lunch and uh, him and Lee asked us to run the youth department. I involuntarily erupted in tears. They were not good tears. I did not want to run the youth department. I hated teenagers. Why? Because I was such a pain in my mother's backside as a teenager. And the last thing I wanted was hundreds of me. I cried because I didn't want to do it. The next Sunday, Mark Ramsey stood in the pulpit and announced that Sam and Carolina were the incoming youth pastors. I said to him straight after the service, I didn't say yes. And he goes, your tears were enough. I was like, no, they weren't good tears. Oh, oh well. And in the 14 years that Sam and I ran the youth ministry, we saw more than 10,000 young people make decisions for Jesus. (laughs) I learnt so much in my yes and in that season in going above and beyond in living in the second mile when I didn't want to do it you're doing yourself a disservice by being precious yes and you have no idea what's waiting for you in the second mile even if you don't want to do it The miracles are there. Your impact for the kingdom is there. It's waiting for you in the second mile. If you're too busy to pray, you're too busy. If you're too busy to read the Bible every day, you're too busy. If you're too busy to serve, you're too busy. Don't choose the path of least resistance. There's no glory to God in that. There's no honor in that. There is no transformational power in the path of least resistance. Live in the second mile. Go above and beyond. Have a yes and approach to life, and then you will live for a cause greater than self. Number two, have a whatever-it-takes resolve. And the symbol for this is a key. I have keys everywhere, all around my house, pendants, all sorts of things. Obedience is key. I love what Pastor Mike Mulheron said a couple of weeks ago. Understanding can wait, obedience can't. Just have a whatever it takes resolve. Whatever it takes, God. I'm not backing out. I'm not throwing the towel in. I will do whatever it takes for your kingdom. We need to die empty. Empty. Knowing that your one and only life 
fulfilled kingdom purposes and made an eternal impact. Die with nothing left. Die empty. I think graveyards are possibly the richest places on the earth. Filled with untapped potential, unrealized inventions, unwritten books. Die empty. Second Timothy 4, Paul is writing to his young student and he says, As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race and I've remained faithful. I have been poured out. I have been poured out as a drink offering. Every morning, God, pour me out that I may fall into bed empty. Fall into bed empty with nothing left. We need to be participators, not spectators. Ephesians 2.10, Paul's writing, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ so we can do the good things that he had planned for us long ago. He has a task list for you, which was planned before you even arrived on the planet. And then when he created you anew in Jesus, he did it so that you could fulfill those things. But you have to get in on the game. You can't just watch from the sidelines, from your ivory tower, or from your safe place. You have to get in it. You have to get your hands dirty. You have to roll up your sleeves to do the things that God had planned for you in advance to do. And just do what you can. Start with what's in front of you and go the extra mile in it. Just do what you can. Do what's in front of you. Do you know the need in our church, just this church community is huge. The need in the community out there is huge. And even if every single one of us gave all our time, we would not be able to meet the need that's out there. But as we've already heard today, to succumb to the enormity of the problem means that we fail the ones, the ones. And if you don't help, who will? Who will? A few years in, running youth ministry, I had this sweet young girl named Romy Stewart at the time come up to me at youth one night with a sweet little 13-year-old face and ask me for a milkshake. If we could go out on a date, she wanted to talk to me about something. I thought, oh, how sweet. That's so cute. Of course, let's go and do that. So we made a time. And when she sat down, I immediately knew this was not going to be the cute meeting I thought it was going to be. She sat there and she said, Carolina, um, every week you and Sam tell us to bring our friends to church and to youth. And every week I do. And none of the leaders talk to them. And so I said, okay, well, got to think on my feet here. There's no rhetoric that is appropriate right now. What it takes is are whatever it takes, resolve. Right now, Romy, you and me, let's start a life group. You bring your friends, this Friday we'll start. 
at the cafe before youth, I'll order the hot chips with copious amounts of chicken salt. That's what it takes, all right? Chicken salt. The more yellow, the better. You bring your friends. I can't just say to my team to do something. I've got to roll up my sleeves. And so we started a life group. And in the 18 years since that time, I have not ever had a season where I haven't run a life group. I've had more than 200 people come through my life on a very personal level in my home, week in, week out, week in, week out. I've had teenagers, young adults, adults. I've baptized them, married them, done drive-by rescues from DV scenarios. I've attended graduations. I've actually been in birthing suites with them. I've made meals. I've done prayer vigils. I've celebrated milestone birthdays. I've dedicated babies. I've signature witnessed mortgage documents. I've done the lot. And there is very little in my life that compares to the deep sense of fulfillment that I have had doing the life with those people. There is no pulpit. There is no multi-thousand crowd that I can speak to that is as fulfilling as being in a birthing suite or dedicating a child or being at someone's wedding, knowing I've walked the journey with that person. Nothing compares to it. Has it been taxing? Yes. Is it inconvenient? Completely, entirely, and all the time. Always inconvenient. Never, ever, ever convenient. Never, ever, ever, ever convenient. Never, ever, ever convenient. But is my life richer? Am I more fulfilled? And it all started with a moment of obedience, sitting face to face with a 13-year-old girl when I couldn't leave it up to anyone else anymore. I jumped in, I got in on the action, and I will never, ever regret it. God doesn't redeem your life and awaken your spirit so that you can sit back and become a sponge and take in all that heaven has to offer. He does it to set you loose into the world. In 1 Peter 2, you're not like that, like the world, because you are a chosen people. You are a royal priest. You are God's very special possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. If you're a lawyer, do some pro bono work. If you're a teacher, do a Bible study with your students after school or offer some free tutoring. If you're a carpenter, volunteer your skills at the church. Everybody plays their part. Everybody plays their part. We are the priesthood of believers. In Ephesians 4.16, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing up full of love. Just jump in. 
just jump in and learn by trial and error. You don't have to have your gift discovery profile, personality profile, and whatever other profile sorted before you go, hello, Carolina, I'm now your gift. I know exactly where I need to be in the body of believers. If you do that, I'll give you a toilet brush. Just jump in. You don't have to have it figured all out. In fact, you learn as you do, as you give, as you pour out. You learn by trial and error. There are a lot of things that I tried that I no longer do, but at the time it was needed, like running the production team. I don't know anything about buttons and computers. And everyone's glad I'm no longer doing that role, but at the time it was needed. Just jump in. Just jump in and do whatever it takes and go the second mile. In order to live for a cause greater than self, you need to have a yes and approach and a whatever it takes approach. And finally, you need to make his mission your mission. Two arrows, two arrows. In Matthew 28, Jesus makes the great suggestion. Does anyone know what it's actually called? Sorry? Sorry? What? You mean it's not the great suggestion? It's not the great suggestion. Are you kidding me? I've been living my whole life as if it was a suggestion. It's not a suggestion, Cam? Excuse my sarcasm. Jesus says to all of us, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them what I have taught you. The Great Commission to every single believer. Go, therefore. Go, therefore. Two arrows. Go. Be shot out of your comfortable little spot and on target for the kingdom. Go therefore, go therefore. What does discipleship mean? When does it start? Does discipleship, does it start when your friend walks into church? Does it start when they make a decision? When does discipleship start? The Holy Spirit is discipling them their whole life. And he just happens to use you to be a part of that discipleship journey. Discipleship is pointing someone just a little bit closer to Jesus, whatever that looks like. You may be a carpenter and you have an apprentice and your discipleship role in his life is to just point him a little bit more to Jesus. You don't have to Bible bash him unless that's appropriate. You're just doing your role according to the Spirit's work in that young guy's life. You might work in an office space. You might work in parliament. You might work as a teacher and you've got 25 students. You are discipling each of those 25 students, whether you're in a state school or a Christian school, your role in their life is to disciple them. Discipleship is just taking someone closer to Jesus. 
So go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Don't worry about who's ready and who's not. Just do what you're called to do, and that is go, therefore, and let God work out the rest. When Jesus taught us to pray, he said this, Pray in this manner, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that we would bring more of heaven to earth so that more of earth can go to heaven. Serving, living for a cause greater than self. Yes, and whatever it takes and being about the Father's business. Thank you for listening. We pray that this message inspires you to unmistakably influence your world for good and for God. Go ahead and share it with a friend. And can I invite you to connect with us on one of our many social media platforms as well? Most importantly, if you made a decision to follow Jesus, I want to say congratulations. This is the beginning of a life-changing journey. We'd love to see you at one of our many City Point Church services around the world this Sunday. And you can find out more about our service times and locations at citypointchurch.com. We would be so thrilled to see you there.